My name is Bear Siragusa, and you are listening to the Hunting Hound Podcast, presented by W Hunting Supply. Cool. Well, thanks for coming back on, Becky. I, it's always fun to talk to you, and you're, uh, you're a popular guest amongst the uh, dyed-in-the-wool podcast listeners. The, the three of the I three of them it. really appreciate you coming on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just glad there's more than Cleve that wants to listen to me ramble all the time. So, well, we definitely do. So, yeah, we're uh, last time you were on, we talked a bunch about puppies, and then in not long after that, I lost two of my oldest dogs, and not long after that, you lost one of your older dogs, and uh, it seemed appropriate that maybe we sit down and. Talk about old dogs, because um, yeah, it's it's tough having old dogs <laughs> sometimes. It really is, and at the same time, you know, um, I know there's people who their situation maybe isn't conducive to keeping all their old dogs, um, but I think you really miss out on a big enjoyable chunk of having that dog. If you don't get to spend time around them when they're old, they're just Mm -hmm. so easy and so happy with everything. They get to go along and that just makes their day. They're low maintenance. Mm -hmm. And there's just something as much as I love puppies. Most of the time, love puppies. (laughs) There's something about an old dog that just hits the spot. I totally agree. I mean, they're, they're, they're effortlessly lovely to have around. You know, you do, they're not chasing trash. If they were going to do something and stupid and get themselves killed, they were probably would have done it already. You know, they're just they're they're dependable and predictable. I guess is is part of it too. Is that you know you can you can depend on them being slow. You know, they're not going to be the first one to the tree most of the time, but they're such valuable dogs to have around and it's, it's always blown me away a little bit talking to dog mushers and, and talking to some houndsmen that, you know, many, many people see the value, but there's a lot of them that don't. And that always blew me away because they're such, they're such valuable. I mean, even, even if you want to look at it totally cynically, they're such valuable members of the team or the pack those old dogs yeah and even even if it's not hunting stuff even if it's you know these puppies we have right now they're getting to that age where they're they're a little bit obnoxious and Mm kind of starting to climb the social ladder a little bit Mm -hmm. and nine times out of ten old dogs are pretty good about getting a point across about rude behavior rude social behavior Mm. amongst the pack and puppies and teaching them you know a middle age or a younger dog's probably going to play in roughhouse or just run off, whatever. But an old dog isn't going to want to be jumped on. They're they're going to kind of put some manners on a puppy a little bit yeah. too, and that just kind of transfers to everything. Absolutely, yeah. No, absolutely. I I don't know. Do you find that you use a lot less time doing a lot of this, uh, a lot of the the basic behavioral training? Um based on your older dogs like i always found that my old dogs 
you know, especially when the pups are real young and are kind of looking at the old dogs and kind of gathering information about what they're doing. I found that especially with like training lead dogs and things like that, that I got a lot for free just by having a, an older dog there that could show the puppy. It saved me a lot of work. Yeah, there's, there's a fair amount of monkey see, monkey do. Mm. Um, that integrates in that. Like, you know, this morning I had everybody running around and good Lord, I was, I was playing that Garmin tone button like it was an instrument. <laughs> uh, everybody got a storm coming in. And so everybody is just wound for sound. And these youngsters are still figuring out tone means, you know, come find me. Right. And so they, they hear that and they see the old dogs all spin on a dime and come running back. And, and so there's certainly some on the job learning mm. that happens with the older dogs and the puppies. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's the, the other thing is that I can trace my lead dogs, all of the lead dogs that I've had over the, over the years, I can trace them all the way back. Sort of if, if you look at a skills, like you look at a genetic, a family tree, I can trace it from dog, lead dog to lead dog to lead dog to lead dog, all the way back to that very first dog that I got that I taught to be a lead dog by myself. You know, so Yoda taught Subchief, Subchief taught, uh, taught Blowman, Blowman taught Hudson, Hudson taught Hammer and Ferris, and Ferris and Hammer taught Patsy and Waylon and Arlo and Trapper and you know it's 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 sort of this long long line of skills that can be traced back 26 years and it's um yeah kind of we build our systems we build our kennels off of the off of our original dogs and eventually those guys get old I think it's kind of one of those things where It kind of boils down to respect in some ways for me. You know, if a dog has been good enough and dependable enough to be on my team until it gets old, I feel like I deserve, I, I owe that dog, <laughs> I owe that dog something. Yeah, I think it's, and I mean, there's some dogs that transition um, really well, like this H dog that we have here. And we very, very, very rarely get rid of pups or, or old dogs. So it's just, we pretty much keep everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and this was a dog that he's ridiculously adaptable. He's, oh, he's, he's probably the dumbest dog I've ever been around as far as just daily stuff. Okay. But he doesn't miss a track and he, he's a good strike dog. Great with puppies. <laughs> and he was one that a friend was needing, needing a dog to get his pups going. Mm -hmm. So we, he's got kids and all that. So we sent him up there and the deal was all right. But when it's time, when it's time for him to retire, he comes home. Right. And he's just, I picked him up. I will, those guys were gone when I went to their place and he's doing that old dog sleep, you know, where they kind of pick their head up when they wake up and they're all sleepy eyed looking at you. And mm. it'd been, I don't know, year and a half or so since he'd seen me and he just Worked his way up, yep. trotted over, tripped me on the way to the truck because he's in the way all the time. Mm -hmm. He's like Visa. He's everywhere I want to be. <laughs> tripped me on the way to the truck, jumped in the dog box and never skipped a beat. <laughs> so that's I think, awesome. I think with a lot of dogs, though, that, that, that's not necessarily super common. 
And I think it's pretty tough to take, I don't know, nine, 10, 11 years of habit in what a dog knows mm. and then just completely throw them for a loop. Really, they got to learn new people, new dogs, new habits, right. new expectations. It's kind of a tough deal for me anyways. Yeah, you know, but at the same time, I think that the pack, that pack dynamic, you know, if you've got a four or five dogs, I, th I think that's one thing, but... You know, I think when you've got a bunch of them, you end up in a situation where the dogs have to be so versatile in the first place to even function in a pack that big. And, you know, like we always have puppies rolling through here and, you know, uh, other people's dogs and, you know, the, my guys, it's, it's something that they need to be, they need to be able to function in that setting. They need to be able to function with strange dogs, you know, especially with the, you know, like the Huskies, they're, they're meeting other dogs on the trail constantly. You know, it's not like, you know, it's, it, we're, we're constantly around large numbers of other dogs and people. So it, it, I wonder sometimes if we're setting them up for success in that way, that they are flexible enough, even in their older age to, um, I don't know, to be able to take life in stride, I guess. Yeah, for sure. It definitely, definitely depends on what that dog's life has been like, mm. um, up to that point. And like you bringing up that point, that is mind blowing to me to watch videos of say two twelve dog or whatever amount of dog teams. Mm. I mean, within a couple feet of each other, just either pass going opposite directions or go around and just keep on trucking. No, not even, I mean, not hardly even looking off to the side to catch a smell of somebody. And it's like, yeah, wow, that's, that is pretty dang impressive. It is. It's, it is something that I, I always loved watching. It's, it's one of those things where it happens constantly. So you definitely have the possibility to kind of get jaded about the whole thing and not notice it. But it's one of those few things for some reason that I Every time it happened, I would I would always notice it, and it was always amazing to me that, you know, you could take sometimes a combined total of thirty two individual dogs, and you know, run them past each other without a growl, without a raised lip, without any problems on a four foot wide trail is just. It is one of those things that never never cease to amaze me. And I can only imagine the process, what some of the process getting to that point looks like. Good Lord, there's got to be some wrecks. And then you got everybody tied together. So if you do have yeah. have problems, it can get bad in a hurry. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it does, the, the times where it's gone bad, it goes epically, epically bad. Um, you know, the bottom, the, the major deal is having lead dogs that are willing to do it. Because the team takes so much of its cues from those two first dogs. Um, so, you know, and the the right of way when it comes to, sl to sled dogs is the same as, you know, the uh, sort of American cars. You know, you end, you're on the right-hand side. You pass, you know, head-on passing is happening on the left. Passing is happening on the left. You know, so when we're training puppies and things, well, he will put them on the right hand side so that they have an experienced dog. So even if they want to go over and say hi, they've got an experienced dog kind of pushing them over to the side. 
but yeah, the uh, the times where it's not gone well, it's been it's been epically bad. You know, big vet bills, kind of bad. Um, but thankfully, and part of that's I think breeding. We've ended up with a lot of dogs um, that were like that were aggressive have been taken out of the gene pool. Um, they're not bred on anymore. I had a I had an issue when I first moved here. I had an issue with a Malamute team that came that kept going coming over, and they just zoned in on this one dog, this one little do- little male that I had, and they did it three or four times, and like I you know, I started like going way out into the snow and this guy had no control over his dogs whatsoever. And they'd wait out after me, like they'd run him, they'd run me down and, you know, or try to. And, um, so they, they messed him up a couple of times, like really bad. It was those dogs that ended his career. And, um, yeah, boy, I was, I was, I was not happy about that. I was not happy about that. Uh I bet not. And then once you get a dog that kind of gets in that mindset, that can spread like a cancer. And they're they're kind of like a guy mm-hmm. who walks through a doorway. And every time he walks through a doorway, he gets clocked. He's going to come and swing in at some point. Right. And, yeah. No, exactly. And I mean, that's – I think the Malamutes can kind of be a little bit of a game of their own too oh, from, yeah. from what little I've seen oh, of yeah. people that run them. I think they're, they're interesting. They're – they're – Yeah. I I don't like Malamutes and I like, let me preface that by saying I got my start in the dog mushing world with Malamute, Inuit, Greenland dog crosses, some great dogs there, but I don't miss the fighting, you know, because those dogs lived to pull, eat, fight, and yeah, one other thing. And that was, you know, it's all they cared about. And, and they're so big. They're I mean, there's so nothing huge. that's going to stand a chance against them and nothing's going to get, I mean, getting through that code. Even I had a little squabble out here with one of my males and that, that Husky that I've got. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't a big deal, but it was kind of humorous afterwards. Cause the hound kept walking around, like rolling his tongue over his teeth, trying to spit out all the fluff. And he's kind of <laughs> looking at that dog, kick, spicking, spitting it all out. Like what the heck what the, was that all about? <laughs> why do I have hair in my mouth? Yeah. No, they, uh, you know, there's, there's things to be said about that old type of dog, you know, they, they were so tough, you know, just eat crap dog food and they would just go forever. I mean, not fast, but they'd go forever. They'd get there eventually. Get there eventually. You know, they might drag down a moose on their way there, but you know. Yeah, they can bring they can bring it back. They though. can bring it back. Yeah, no, but it's um, I don't miss those days. Those were, those were that was stressful, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know the Malamutes here aren't any better. And that guy, that guy was uh, at that time he was kind of a little bit of a, I don't know, trying to figure out what a adult version of himself was, kind of football or soccer hooligan. Ah. turned dog musher with kind of this macho streak. So he... The dogs take after the Yeah, runners. I mean, he wanted to run a big, huge team of Malamutes because everyone said it was a stupid idea and he wanted to prove that he was man enough to do it and ultimately he wasn't. 
You know, he didn't have control over those dogs. And it took me getting very, very angry with him for him to realize that, um, yeah, he, he really needed to choose between um, being welcome on the trails and running those particular dogs. Um, so he switched to he switched to Alaskan Huskies and developed a very nice team of Alaskan Huskies. That's another concept that's kind of interesting to me. Like you see it on TikTok or Instagram a lot. Obviously, I follow a lot of those people, mm-hmm. so I see it more than, say, most houndsmen are going to see it. But it appears that you almost have like community groomed areas for whether it's full teams or ski joring or, or bike joring or whatever with the dogs. Whereas, you know, with hounds or something, you're probably not here. You're probably not going to run into anybody else all day, right. let alone have half a dozen people there doing the same thing. Mm. And it's, it's just kind of neat to see how the different communities do different things. Yeah. You know, the, the, everywhere that I've lived and run dogs, there's been a community there uh, that has maintained sections of trail. So we've been able to run, you know, and here in Norway, we've got the, we can't just run everywhere. A lot of places there's not, you're not even allowed to run a snowmobile. So the trails need to be put in by a trail groomer who has only so-and-so many trails or trips that they can take in the space of a year. Really? So, you know, a lot of the trail grooming was done by us with dog teams. And, you know, it makes a very tight-knit community, but it also makes it very, very crucial for, you know, despite the fact that that community may have 900 dogs in it, that you can't have that one that's going to take chunks out of other dogs as you walk, as you go by. It just doesn't work. Um, so in, in some ways, the community is much more, is in some ways more tight-knit than a lot of the, uh, at least the big game. Hound, houndsman community, you know, where you, where you don't have the trials, you don't have the things that you're going, you know, the gatherings and things like that necessarily as much as like the beaglers or the, the coon hound guys do. Um, but you know, ultimately it's, it's one of those deals where The community functions only when everybody is willing to play by the same rules, which mm-hmm. occasionally, and I've experienced it myself, those rules are so asinine that it's hard to it's hard to want to play by them. You know, it's it's one of those deals where I, I don't know. It's they're, they're we're dog people. And I, I think that a lot, a lot of, a lot of dog people, especially the people that go out in the mountains with their dogs or out into the woods with their dogs, they kind of want to be alone. Their social skills are maybe not as refined as, you know, some other people's of the world. They're trying to take chunks out of other people when the people walk by. A little bit, yeah. You know, and and that can be a little bit challenging when you're 
dealing with a community that needs to function. And in, in some ways, I've watched the dog mission community kind of implode upon itself. Um, because the, the, the standard hierarchy that's been accepted for, you know, the last however long, it doesn't seem to be applying anymore. So you have these new people coming in without any respect for the old guys. And in a lot of, I mean, this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but in a lot of ways that is legit. You know, those, those old guys are not, and not all of them, but you know, the guys that have been setting the tone are not necessarily the guys that have been doing the best job in terms of dog care, breeding, um, or, you know, even just PR public image type stuff. So, you know, at this point, there's a, there's a major conflict going on here between the elite competitors over here and the not so elite competitors who, you know, the elite competitors want to be left alone and have taken a very kind of, you know, mind your own business attitude in a day and age where nobody minds their own business anymore. Everything is filmed. Everything's put out on social media and everybody has an opinion about everything. Whereas he's, and I think it's just, go ahead. That's where the insecurities get blown out too. I mean, it's just, and, and I don't know if you see it more. I don't know. I, I can make a whole other podcast about that, but Maybe because over there, like you said, with everybody kind of being in a group and doing things together, mm-hmm. there's more of a like, oh, well, did you see what so-and-so did or did you see how their dog handled that? Mm. Whereas um, maybe more in the hound stuff, people already have their minds made up based off what they see on social media to an extent sure, or what they've heard or, oh, well, so-and-so said this or so-and-so killed this there. And it's like, who cares? Right. I don't care. I don't have enough time to take care of my own stuff, let alone worry about somebody else's. Right. And and I, it's sad, really, because it takes something that people enjoy, um, and turns it into just another competition. Mm. For okay, for what? Right. And it it kind of really I don't know. I don't want to say bastardizes the whole the whole point of what you're doing, but in a way, it does. I think it does in, in, in it, certainly in the way you're talking about, you know, and I, people don't need to hear me go on a rant about social media again, but you know, ultimately it is what to me it boils down to is, you know, the guys, the guys getting, there's only a couple of guys and gals out there that are active on social media that are also really good houndsman you know that may be an unpopular opinion but it's it's my observation is that the guys the people that are using a lot of their time on so updating social media uploading to social media are not the best houndsmen the best or dog mushers for that reason you know for that matter it's the people who don't have the time for that because they're putting that time into their t- teams, packs, whatever. 
they're they're the really good ones. So it gives kind of a skewed view, I think, of what we're actually about. Because I, you know, nine, I think, you know, ninety nine percent of us are just kind of out there doing our thing. We're not posting everything on Facebook, and I, you know, I post quite a bit on Facebook in terms of the podcast and things like that. But you know, it's it's you know. I, I'm also not putting myself into the category of a particularly good houndsman. You know, I'm doing my best, but I I would need to cut a lot of other things out of my life, I think, to be to get to where I want to be faster than I'm getting there. And we got to remember too, all it is is a manufactured highlight reel. Right. No one posts their bad days. Right. I mean, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say no one, but on average, you're not seeing what's truly going on behind the scenes. And that's not even just social media. I mean, I can't tell, Cleve's dad was a government trapper, and I can't tell you how many stories you hear of these old timers. And it's like, oh, he did this, he did that. And that's not, I'm not, I'm not saying that his, you know, that's anywhere. I mean, that's not just in that, that's in any aspect. And it's like, Mm. I think it's just human nature. Um, and I just bring that up because he was out here in the area. And so you hear of stuff the old timers did and then the older old timers did. I I think it's just been something that's come along well before. I mean, that was what, 25 years before social media. That was before the internet. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's something that's necessarily just social media. um, No, that's fair. But it certainly has exacerbated it. No, that's, that's fair. That, I think it's just human nature at this point. Yeah, I that that's fair. That's that's true. You know, it's it's you know everybody wants to be. What's that old saying? Everyone wants to be stronger than dad. You know, everybody everybody wants to try and be a little bit better than the people that came before them. And it's it's a little bit that you know, getting back to talking about old dogs. You know, that's kind of the beauty of of the sport, and it's also the beauty of of having old dogs in, in a pack is that, you know, you get these youngsters that come in and learn everything that maybe that old dog had to work really hard and sacrifice a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to learn. You get these youngsters that come in and are like, oh, well, you know, old Red, he's, he's doing that. So I'm just going to copy old Red. And, and th- they get a lot of they get really far standing on the shoulders of some very good older dogs. And for each generation, it seems, it seems yeah. like they get better and better and better for, you know, for the most part, if your breeding program is decent and things like that, you, it seems like as the houndsman in the pack gets better, more and more and more experience, um, they get better and better. And I think that's a little bit the same in the sport is that, you know, we, you know, it's, it's, I don't like the keyboard keyboard warriors on social media, but I, th- I do think it's important to remember that, um, you know, it, it's people on social media are very quick to disrespect the older generation. And I think it's important to remember that we are standing on the shoulders of people who didn't have the access to the information that we had. We're learning from there we're learning on a keyboard to avoid mistakes that they had to in some case bleed and grieve for the knowledge 
and we're getting it for free. You know, so I think that's important to remember too that the, um, you know, those old timers, if you put them in the context of today and how things are done today, you know, it'd be, it would be insane to not use GPS collars. You know, it'd be insane at this point to feed your dog's corn, just nothing but cornbread, you know, um, but we are still standing on the shoulders of people who had no other option than doing those things. And I don't think that that necessarily makes them bad houndsmen. They just were, they just had, they were figuring all this stuff out that we take for, that we take for granted. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. Mm. And like you said, they were so limited in the amount of knowledge that they had. And back then, I mean, yeah, there were guys that didn't want to share information. Um, back then, I mean, I, I don't know. I think every generation probably goes, I think every older generation probably goes, ah, these young kids are just ruining everything. And I think every younger generation goes, ah, them old timers don't know anything. I think that's probably the way it's been since the first generation, Probably, but we've definitely (laughs) shortened the learning curve Mm. and to the better. Um, it's a double-edged you know, sword, isn't I it? Saw, it is. And I saw something the other day that said, you know, I think it was something along the lines of don't look down on on that old timer that's got a plywood dog box in the back and two dogs mm. who's doing it for a different reason. And it's like, man, how true is that? It's so true. It's yeah. When did it stop becoming about the dogs and start becoming about likes and shares and yeah. uh, popularity? Um, yeah. And that's, you know, and like you said, the following that, I've, that old dog, older dog, my second in line that I have, he's not overly social. I mean, we joke around because he'll play with another dog about once every six months. It's becoming more frequent now. And we're like, oh my God, do you have a terminal illness? What is wrong with right. you? <laughs> like, have you changed your life? Making up and I mean, he's not time. mean. Yeah. He's just, I, I always joked around. We should have named him Sniper because he's always off in the brush by himself. Hmm. And for some reason, he doesn't interact with puppies. He's not. He just kind of ignores him for the most part. But every puppy is obsessed with him and follows him and just like takes it all in. Cleve jokes around. He's like the sensei and they just follow him around Mm -hmm. like, oh, he's the master. And uh, he pretty much ignores him. Every now and then he'll stop and kind of smell him and interact with him. Like, all right, are you coming along? But he doesn't really, he's pretty neutral. And every single puppy is just obsessed with him. And I'm like, oh, cool. That's a good one to be obsessed with. Keep watching. But it's it seems to be one dog that those pups always are drawn to over the years mm-hmm. if you're lucky enough to have that dog into old age. Yeah. Um, I, I had that, that, I had that dog too. <laughs> yep, I had that dog. It's, uh, yeah. No, it's true. And, you know, I, I think that... You know, as, as you said early, early on, when, when you're thinking about these old dogs... I think that I understand why people move them on. I understand why people will, when a dog is not making it to the tree in a reasonable amount of time and is falling out of races and things like that, you know, not, not giving up. That's not what I'm talking about, but you know, taking, taking a little bit too long to get to the tree. And I can understand why people move those dogs on, you know, you Mm -hmm. kind of, 
puppies are so much fun in, in so many ways. And if nothing else, they represent potential. They represent, you know, uh, potentially a step forward. Whereas the older dogs are really just kind of cemented in the, a little bit in the past. But at the same time, I think it's so valuable to have the, that to have those old dogs, not uh, for exactly the same reason that you're, that you're talking about is it, they do something socially. They, they add a level of calmness to a pack because, you know, the, the old dogs are just, they're the voice of reason in this sort of sea of chaotic, young, hormonal baloney. And, you know, for that, I've, I've always, I appreciated my old dogs so much. And, you know, there have been times where I've gotten into real bad situations where it was my old dogs that, that saved, you know, a couple of, couple of times, say literally saved my life. And the puppies didn't know how to respond. They didn't know what to do. The younger dogs didn't know what to do, but the adults, they did, you know, my older dogs knew what to do. You know, so I went through the ice and was, couldn't get out and was able to pull, uh, was able to hook my arm into the sled. And, um, I had a team of youngsters and then four adult dogs all the way in the front. And the, you know, as they get older and start to learn, they all learn that when you are, when you've stopped when you say, are you guys ready? Then they get ready and you say, all right, let's go. Then they all slam into their harness in unison. It gets the sled moving. It breaks it free of the ice. Sometimes it'll freeze to where it's sitting and things like that. Puppies will just bounce and slam in their harnesses willy nilly and, you know, are almost surprised when the sled starts to move. And that's what I had with me. And it took a lot of, you know, I was... I was properly down in the water. At that point, I was fully waterlogged. You know, I'm a big guy anyway. And they needed to pull me and my waterlogged self up out of the water onto the ice. And I said, hey, are you guys ready? All right, let's go. And it was those four dogs in the front, those four old timers, including a 12-year-old lead dog that just dug in and, dr and hauled. And it was those four that really pulled me out. You know, the puppies eventually got, you know, got, were on board with it. But if I'd just been running puppies, I don't, I wouldn't have made it out because they wouldn't have been able to pull me out. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where <sighs> speed and intensity and courage and grit, those are, those are all crucial elements of what makes a good hound, a good big game hound, a good hound. But I don't, th I think sometimes we underestimate the value of just been there, done Experience. that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a certain level of, of stability that they provide. And, and at what point do you consider, I don't know, I think each dog has its own threshold of when it's considered older and when you start that maintenance care. Uh, I tend to start that maintenance pretty early. Mm. Um, and you can get more out of them that way. I mean, you're not gonna. What does that look like when you're, you're talking about maintenance genetics? When you're talking about maintenance care, what are you talking about? 
uh, joint supplements, mm -hmm. chiropractic stuff, mm -hmm. food changes, uh, maybe not letting them, maybe helping them up and off the tailgate, uh, lesser impact type stuff. Sure. Uh, I don't really have, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, my scenario is different than a lot of folks scenarios. I'm not in a subdivision where I can only have four dogs and I have to take them out somewhere to exercise. So I don't really road anymore. We don't really road anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, we used to quite a bit before we got this place and it was kind of funny. We'd always rode by this place and see that lot and be like, man, that'd be a cool place to have. And now I'm now sitting on it. Now you're living, um, living the dream. And there's, there's nothing wrong with roading. It's just higher impact mm -hmm. than free running. And that takes a toll after a while. You know, if I had my way, I'd have a swimming pool set up with drop harnesses. I, I don't think there's a better conditioning tool out there than swimming. Yep. It's just a little tough when you live in the desert. Uh, so mm. I, I tend to be more, and I mean, I'm not overboard with it. I'm just more cognizant of, hey, let me, you know, let me lift you off that tailgate or, or we have a trailer that has a little step platform that they can hop up, mm -hmm. uh, on and off of, um, you know, cause things like discs, one of those beagles of mine does have a history of, of having some disc problems. Mm -hmm. Um, it's healed up fine from it, but I'm cognizant of it. So I, I try to not let him jump down. Sure. Sometimes it doesn't always go according to plan. He's a little mutinous little thing, but fling them, fling themselves over your shoulder. I've been there. Yeah, pretty much. It's like pushing a bull backwards because he's so short and stocky. <laughs> and then I do joint supplements too. I, I make my own. Um, and I think one of the things you run into with the joint supplements, and I start that when they're pretty young, it's just kind of a maintenance deal. Okay. Um, Interesting. It almost beats people say, oh, well, I don't see a difference. And it's like, well, okay, you don't see a difference adding motor oil to your truck too until it's too late. Right. You want to be preventing those problems. Um, like that eight-year-old, I just started him on Adequin the other day because he is, he's a bigger dog mm. than I would normally keep. He's probably, I don't know, he's between 60 and 65 pounds and he's, he's super athletic. He's not clumsy by any means. Um, but I know that he's going to have more wear and tear on his body due to his size right. and just due to the pounding and, and all of that. And he's confirmationally, he's, he's roach backed. Um, so I'm just trying to get ahead of any problems mm -hmm. in, in his future to try and make him as comfortable for as long as I can and, and be able to use him as long as I can. I mean, our stance pretty much is if they're willing to go, let them go. Maybe right. be discerning. I mean, I'm not going to put a, a 14 year old dog that's limping through a bunch of cliffs and blowdowns and stuff like that. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be a total idiot about it, but I'm right. also not going to make them rot at home pissed off they're not going either right yeah I, I i see what you're saying yep absolutely you mentioned chiropractor mm -hmm. you have um a canine chiropractor deal with do some work on your dogs or is that a, a skill that you have what so we do um there's it's more common to have horse chiropractors that also do dog work mm. there are veterinary chiropractors there's uh, and that's kind of a state-dependent legislation as to who can legally do it. Hmm. Um, but I'll tell you, it has it saved an old dog of ours. He was, gosh, I want to say he was about eight. Mm -hmm. And he was just not doing well. We, we figured he had cancer, honestly, over the course of about two months. And we'd had him into the vet. I mean, x-rays, blood work. Vet said, no, he was six. 
okay, yeah, he was six. And that said, this dog needs to be retired. And I'm like, hmm. this dog is in his prime. And this is something that has recently started happening. This is not like a progression of arthritis or something. Right. Um, I mean, it was, I was prepared to put him down to that that day. He was losing hair by the clumps. Wow. He would absolutely scream if you tried to pick his head up because he'd hold his head down. And I'm like, this dog has got to have cancer or there's mm. something going mm. on. Blood work came back good. Vets couldn't figure it out. And just on a whim, I said, you know what? That's how I feel when my discs are bothering me. Mm-hmm. Huh. So I started looking around for veterinary chiropractors. He went up, got adjusted. And we'd adjust him periodically throughout, you know, once a year, once every six months. But that dog was a horrendous tree climber. Mm. I mean, come rolling out 30 feet, climb back up like bad, bad. <laughs> and he he had a pinched nerve in his neck. And I mean, on the way home from that chiropractor, you could hear as he was sleeping, he would just take these huge, deep breaths yeah. and exhales like, man, I can finally relax. And that dog lived until he was 13 here running around. Wow. I mean, he, he was trailing up until the day he died. Cool. And I've, I've used it with some other dogs too and mm-hmm. a couple of these mules. And there's – it definitely can help. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's a muscle thing too. I mean, the muscles move the bones. The bones don't move the muscles. So there's certainly an aspect to some massage. Or I have a red light therapy pad that I use for injuries. Okay. You know, healing cuts, they're great. Any type of broken bone or sprain, fracture, anything like that, they really help with the healing. Mm. Um, But for the most part, I mean, it's not like they're on a schedule of, oh, every eight weeks they got to go to the chiropractor. But it is certainly a a tool for the arsenal. Sure, sure, sure. And especially as they get older, you know, it it helps. And if you think about it, most of the time they're, they're curled up or if they're falling out of trees, going through ledges, I mean, those dogs put their bodies through quite a they bit. They do. Yeah. No, it's the, uh, sometimes I think it's the mileage more than the, uh, more than the age, more than the age. Yeah. I mean, I kind of try to, I try to be, I try to resist the urge to put human emotions on dogs, but at the same time, I still try to be empathetic with what they could potentially be going through. And I feel that that gets easier the older I get. And it's not just an experience thing. It's like I I can put myself in their shoes a little bit more. It's like, oh, you're so sore today that you can't even get up. I know. I know. I know that feeling, which when I was 20 years old, it was like that was insane to me. It was like, just suck it up, cupcake. And now it's like, oh, okay, well, let's uh, let's see what we can do for you. And, um, for sure. And, you know, I think that's one thing you see. We had that experience where we had a dog who was, I mean, phenomenal with puppies and they just loved him. He loved them. It was, he was just perfect. Mm. And over the course of a couple of weeks, man, he started getting nasty, nasty with puppies, mm. nasty in the dog box. And it was like, so it was so out of character for him that we were like, what the heck is going on? And that's when I started the joint supplement and within a month of the joint supplement, he was back to Mr. Lovable, get down, wrestle, and play. Where before, if they so much as come close to him, looking like they were going to bump into him, I mean, he was all over mm. And so in my mind, between that and, and putting some anti-inflammatories on him on the tough days, it was a pain thing. Right. He didn't want to get banged into by these 40-pound dogs, and, and I can see that. I mean, 
you've got back problems. You know how it is. If you move wrong, I mean, it feels like someone's pouring lava down your spine. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, and and that was a big motivator for me getting out of the Huskies, you know, or stop, you know, transitioning into hounds was, you know, hooking them up, having them sort of haul me around, bumping into me, jumping up on me. And even just the the bumps, you know, you're holding onto a sled, the, the bumps and the the jerks of, hold, you know, holding onto the sled. It was just, you know, with the, you know, it wasn't often that it was excruciatingly painful, but I was pretty crabby. You know, I was not the person I wanted to be. And it was just because I was constantly hurting. I was just constantly on some degree of pain. And, you know, it, it affects you mentally. It affects you emotionally. I mean, it affects every aspect of your life. So, you know, I think that's a really smart way to go about it. What you're talking about is, you know, if you've got a dog that just suddenly takes, it just comes out of left field with something insane, you know, that dog might be hurting somewhere. You know, the chances that it just woke up and decided, you know what? Screw Becky. I'm going to go and mess, you know, that's it. No more Mr. Nice Guy and just makes a conscious decision to be a dick. That it that's not that's not how it works with dogs, thankfully. Yeah, they generally don't wake up and choose violence. Right. Maybe insubordination, but not violence. Insubordination, but not violence. And, you know, if, so if you've got a dog mm-hmm. that when another, you know, is it's a great place to start looking is, you know, kind of a, a pain, a pain scale. What is it that's causing what, you know, what is it that made this dog completely change its way of being in a short amount of time? And, you know, there's not a lot of options there. You know, I mean, there's the dog can be seriously sick, which is going to be your you can pick up on blood tests, have some kind of brain tumor, which is affecting its personality or be in a lot of pain. You know, those are those are really what those are really your options. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of other things that are going to cause a dog to suddenly, you know, dogs don't do the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. Yeah. And there's, there's so many, I don't want to say easy ways to rule it out. I mean, like what I'll do, I know that Beagle tends to have trouble with one of his ribs, Hmm. um, and his neck. So if you, if you stand, you know, with him facing you and you, you gently take his muzzle and try to bend his head to one side, you're going to feel a lot of resistance. Hmm. You know, he might bend great to the left and not to the right on the other side. So there's ways you can check that lifting their shoulders. A lot of times when they're standing square, you you can see it, and if it's something, you know, you might say, "Wow, that dog's, you know, top of their hip is, I don't know, eighth or a quarter inch further back than the other mm. one." You know, there's that. There's tick-borne illnesses that can make them grouchy and hurt. Sure. And it's, if you can get, you know, people say, "Oh, you're not going to out genetic," you know, you're not going to out maintain genetics, and that's true to an extent. But we really only have these dogs for. Not long enough, but mm. let's say 10 to 15 years on average. Yep. If you can maintain another eight to 10 months or eight to eight months to a year, year and a half, two years out of that dog, mm. percentage wise, that's a pretty significant percentage of the time you get to use that dog. Absolutely. And have that dog be comfortable. Absolutely. And keeping weight off them as they get older. Yeah. It seems like you've got two two types of dogs. Dogs that either look like a rack of bones when they get old or dogs that look like a beluga whale when they get right. old. <laughs> and it, it can be tough to put weight on and it can be tough to be take tough off. To man, if you can keep them, yeah, if you can keep them 
in shape, you know, a rolling stone gathers no moss. Mm. I mean, this, this H dog we have out here, the, the older one, God, I could have killed him this summer. Thought I did actually, uh, over the course of not having a collar on him. Mm. He never, he, he's just retired, retired for the most part. He'll still go, go lion hunt and stuff, but around the house, he's not trailing rabbits. He's not doing anything. Mm-hmm. I had introduced that Husky. So I was taking everybody for group walks and here come a group of antelope. Mm. And I'm like, all right, this is no big, deal. I don't even put a GPS collar on him. I mean, he's just, he's on the porch or he's out by the tax shed or he's just wandering around doing H things. Mm-hmm. And I hear him start trailing and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And this is, I mean, it's July. It's super hot. It's like nine o'clock in the morning. He hasn't been to an area with no water. Right. So I spent all day, most of the night on the side by side trying to find him. And we had to have been within a couple hundred yards of each other, but the sagebrush is so tall. I couldn't see him and he's three quarters deaf. So he couldn't hear right. me. <laughs> so here I am. I mean, I'm just distraught. This dog is going to heat stroke mm. and I'm just a mess. Cleve is gone. I'm calling him. And the next morning, the neighbors called. He had he had found some water and stumbled his way up to their haystack. And I mean, he he had toes swollen up. He couldn't hardly get off the couch for the next three to four days. I had to pick him up, carry him down the mm-hmm. stairs to let him out to use the bathroom. I could have killed him. Yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while, they get a wild hair. Oh, that's. But for the most part, I mean, they're so stable and so good. They they can help a pack a lot, like you were mm-hmm. saying. Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, a dog's going to be a dog. If they can get away with something, they're going to try to get away with it, you know, most of the time. But usually it's going to be something that they have shown you time and time again that they kind of have a tendency to want to do. It's like, I really want to go and run after that deer, you know, where but a dog is not going to suddenly be like, you know, hey, I've loved puppies all my life and. I think I'm going to try and kill one just to see how it feels. You know, that's not how it works, you know? <laughs> yeah. They're not having a three quarter life crisis. Mm, Something's going right. on. Right. You know, suddenly waking up with a tattoo that they can't remember how they got in a Mohawk. It's like, you know, they're, that's not how it works. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no joke. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think another thing that, you know, we've talked about the value of, um, of having these older dogs around, but you know, I just, you know, I, again, I, I kind of, I don't like, I feel like I owe it to them, you know, like, I feel like I owe them something, you know, when they get old, you know, I'm not talking about yeah, every single same. dog, you know, there are dogs where, you know, they, you know, uh, the only reason they're still in my kennel at the when they get old is because every time I tried to rehome them, they did something insane that you know bumped them back. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. But a dog that's lasted ten years in my kennel and has pulled my butt around on the sled, or you know, worked for me in some way for ten years. I feel like I owe it to that dog to give it a respectful retirement. You know, yeah. I, I feel like they um, we're the same. Yeah. Way. You know, it's, it's one of those deals where, you know, if, if they've lasted that long, they deserve whatever I can give them to repay the favor. And, and I think that's what bothers me maybe a little bit 
I try not to be very judgmental, but occasionally it does bother me when people bump old dogs out of their out of their their packs. If you've got a good home, that's one thing. But, you know, at the same time, it's like you said, not all dogs are going to be super psyched about going from a pack that they've known all their life to suddenly being, you know, a single dog or, you know, living together with chihuahuas. You know, it's, it's, I, I don't know. I've always felt like I've owed it to the dogs that have managed to get old to, uh, yeah, show them the little bit of payback, you know, pay them back a little bit in some way, even though they're not obviously not going to look at it that way. You know, it's, it's a, it's an ethical thing to me where if they've lasted that long, I, I think so. I feel like they deserve it. I figure I've put, we've put, I don't know, 10, 12, 13 years of dog food into them. What's a couple more? Right. They're not really in the way they're, I mean, they, they do make things more complicated in a way, they get in the way, they fall asleep in places they shouldn't. You got to you gotta kind of keep an eye out for them when they really get older. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've kind of taken the stance, too. And like you've said, you know, you try not to put human emotions on them. But you notice, too, there's things your old dogs get away with that you'd be fussing at your young dogs for being a jackass about. And you're like, oh, whatever, all right, you've, you've earned it. You can right. do whatever. <laughs> They don't, they kind of get some slack and leeway. Right. You've earned um, the right to roll in that uh, horse turd. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the other kindest things you can do too is there's times I've held on to dogs too long thinking, oh, I, I can, you know, and it was something where the dog would get better and then he'd have a hard time. He'd have a good week mm. and he'd have a bad week. And Sometimes one of the kindest things you can do is, you know, there is no kind death in nature. Yeah. I think sometimes the best thing you can do is evaluate their quality of life mm-hmm. and and not be selfish about making that decision that, all right, it's it's time for them to go. Yeah. I that That's and a I think great point. That is a very, very good point. Mm. It's weird. Like, I've, I mean, and because we keep majority of our, you know, we've generally got groups of four or five dogs that are around the, uh, around the same age. Mm-hmm. That was a tongue twister for a minute there. Um, and so oftentimes we're going to lose three, four or five dogs in rapid succession. And you're going to have three, four or five puppies. And you're always in this, or at least I am anyways, this weird vibe of like half excitement, half various stages of heartbreak. Right. And it's like, having a lot of dogs that's kind of how it is and I don't know it's a little weird I'll be honest and I don't want to say that I don't want to say you get callous to losing the old dogs by any means Um, I think everybody probably has a way of dealing with it mentally differently Mm -hmm. but like you and I have talked in the past it's and I mean yeah of course it's losing the dog too but sometimes it's the last time you do things for that dog that you do every day mm. that really kind of boots you in the guts. Like the last time or when you unbuckle that collar and take it off that dog yeah. before you bury it, the last time you clean up that dog's area, the last time you yeah. clean out their dog house or whatever. And, and that same day you might be putting a young dog right back in it. And it's like, God, I kind of feel like a slime ball, Yeah, but the show's got to go on. Mm. 
Yeah, it's and so, yeah, you're just kind of in this weird, weird state constantly. It is funny, isn't it? Is it's it's this. Um, <clears throat> I think it requires a a streak of pragmatism and realism to to deal with dogs and to to make them as big a part of our lives as a lot of houndsmen do. You know, and part of that is going to be lost. You know, big. A big part of it ultimately is going to be is going to be lost. And something I said to my wife after we lost these last couple, because um, they were key, they weren't just any other dogs. They were the two foundation animals of our kennel that we lost on the same day. Um, you know, I, I said to her, I was like, I, I, I wish that somebody had told me when I was getting into dogs how much of it was going to be loss. And she said that, well, you know now how much of it's going to be lost and you're still getting in puppies, like you're still bringing in new puppies. So I don't necessarily think it would have made a difference was her take on it. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where people find their own coping mechanisms for dealing with loss and dealing with grief and, you know, people who have the number of animals that we have, we have to deal with it quite a bit. And, you know, I, I think that I don't think it's ever gotten any easier for me to say goodbye, but it's certainly, I've accepted it as uh, a necessary, I don't even know if I'd call it evil, but you know, it, it's the way it is. And, and what a privilege is it to die at old age? Right. Right. And what a, what a privilege it's been for me to, you know, there's, there's been a lot of dogs throughout the years where I was the first person that they saw when they, open their eyes, you know, and I was the last person they laid eyes on before they died of old age. And I've been lucky enough to be in that position where I could be that person for a lot of dogs. I, it's been an honor. You know, there have been, you know, there have been I have had multiple dogs that I would classify as once in a lifetime dogs. And it sounds like a stupid thing to say, but I think that in most people's lives, they're lucky. They're going to be really, really lucky if they get that one dog that just everything clicked. They could read your mind almost, you know, it's just like you had that connection with that one dog. I've been so lucky that I've had that with, you know, five or six dogs throughout the years. And, you know, it's one of those deals where it's heartbreaking when they go, but it doesn't change the fact that I feel privileged to have been, you know, if, if I die today, I'll have experienced more of something than most people will in their entire lives. 
and something that's worth that's worth something. And that kind of a connection with a hound or a, or a dog, I think, is worth is 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 worthwhile. It's worth striving for, and I think it's part of what kind of keeps us in this year after year, and you know, heartbreak after after heartbreak. Yeah, and I, I think too, and I and I'm not judging anybody on this. Mm. I am not. It's something that. Um, I feel very strongly on personally. Mm-hmm. I was, and, and I saw an example of it at the vet the other day because apparently that's just my favorite place to hang out the last that's, couple of years. That's the vet's where you office. just chill. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I should basically be on the payroll at this point. Um, you know, these these folks walked in, and you could tell what they were there for. Mm. I mean, she's already balling. He's trying not to, and they had an older basset hound. So of course, I'm automatically in love, right. you know. And they handed that dog over and walked out the door. That's that's rough. That's man, I, I what a privilege it is to live to old age, especially doing what our dogs do. Obviously, that dog was a pet. Um, I want to be there at the last oh, yeah. minute. I want to be the last. You know, I want to be holding that dog or, or whatever. You know. Whatever the case may be, whether it's a, a traumatic injury mm-hmm. that requires a euthanasia, you know, whatever the case may be, I do not want that dog stressed out trying to figure out, well, I'm in this new environment. These are strange people. Right. Where the, where the, heck, did, where the heck did they go? Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, and I know that's something that some people say, well, I just can't, I can't do it. I can't bear that. I, I don't want to say it's selfish because I know everybody's different. But I cannot stand the thought of one of my dogs being stressed out at the last minute, knowing that it could have been avoided. Yeah, I in that looking for me or looking for something mm-hmm. familiar that just, oof. Yeah, I I get you, and it's you know I I work as a veterinary nurse, and that's that's something we see every day, and it's something that I will tell people, you know, I'll, I'll take the time to actually talk to them, and they're like, oh, I can't be, I can't be here. You just need to come out to the car and get the dog. I'll be like, you know. We'll do that if we have to, but I want you to understand what what that could be like for your dog. And you don't need to be there when we euthanize it, but if you can manage to come out or we can come out to you in the car and we'll sedate, you know, we'll anesthetize the dog, we'll sedate the dog, at least be with him her and you know be with this dog until she's asleep and then we can take it but you know we'll of course treat her well we'll be kind we'll give you know but it's not the same you know you've been with this dog's support system its entire life and now suddenly in its final moment of needing you there and they and they do i mean it's no there's no never there's no no two ways about that the dog needs you there when that happens and it's and they generally know something's up they know oh they they absolutely know they absolutely know and they need you then they do they they need you to be there 
And, you know, we, we put down dogs where the owners aren't there and it goes okay. You know, we tell them all the things that a dog should hear before it dies as it's dying, but it's not the same. And so I, I agree with you there that it's, it's, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, owing what we owe our older dogs. I think that's, that's a crucial part about what I believe we owe them, you know? And yeah, I, uh, I agree with you on that. You know, I, I lost the female, um, sister of, of the beagle, one of the beagles I have now. And it was, I mean, it was months of trying to figure out what was going on in and out of the vets. Mm. And she got to the point where it was like, I needed to get into an emergency vet right then and there. And we either had to get it figured out or, or get her put down. And they testing wouldn't come back for five to seven days. I was pretty sure I knew what it was. They agreed. That's probably what it was. And it was not, you know, oftentimes a medical euthanasia is goes pretty seamless. And that was not the case with this one. Mm. And I felt, I mean, I bawled my eyes out from Twin Falls, Idaho, mm. the 120 miles back to my house. Because mm. it, it was pretty traumatic for everybody involved. Right. Um, but I can still look back and sit there and say, man... I was holding her. She, it wasn't a completely traumatic deal with strangers. And, um, so there is, there is that comfort there, I guess, in a way. And I think it probably helps get some closure too. you know, oftentimes if we've got old timers and it's, it's a scheduled thing, which like I've said, you know, how, how awesome is that, that that's the point they get to versus getting killed by a bear and, and don't get me wrong. There's, there's a valor to going out doing what you love too. Oh, sure. Um, had that happen also, as you know, yeah. uh, but if, if we can plan a day, you know, we'll go out. We'll if they like to swim, we'll take them to the lake. We'll, we'll take them for a last hike out in the hills or something. If they're able to, they'll get all the, all the snacks and treats they want. And then we go, you know, we'll either meet somewhere out in the hills or, or bring them to our, our local vet who, it's not necessarily a super clinicky setting mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, there's nothing wrong with it being clinicky or, or not, mm-hmm. but try and make it, make it a last good day. And I'd rather I'm to the point now I would rather let them go a week or a couple weeks too early than a couple days too late. Yep. There are worse things than a kind, a kind, humane death. There are, there are, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I've, um, and that's, that's unfortunately something I see a lot at work as well is, um, people that have let it to go too long because I don't know whether it was false hope, denial. I'm not sure what it was, but where. Yeah, it's not malicious by any means. No, it comes from the best possible place, but. It's still, it's still ugly. Like it's still, you know, a dog that should have been allowed to die because a lot of times that's what it boils down to is it's not, you know, these, these dogs have not, they don't need help dying. They need to be allowed to die because most, you know, a lot of times these dogs are medicated, you know, they've been trying for months and months and months to, to 
prolong the inevitable, which is, I, I understand. I've done it myself. You know, but it, it does reach a certain point when, you know, you're not keeping the dog alive. You're, you know, warding off death for a little while. It, it, to me, there's a difference. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that I, I agree with you that it's time. It's one of those other things that I feel like we owe our old dogs, our old hounds that, you know, to let them go out while, you know, at the end of a good road. Digging yeah. Mm-hmm. Let them go out while they're still before they've suffered needlessly for a long period of time. Yeah, kind of the the final end on a good note. Yeah. Uh, and it's I mean it's there are very few dogs who pass in their sleep. Mm. Or without some type of traumatic um you know cleve was headed out the other day when that old dog had keeled over and she was already dead when he came Mm -hmm. out and he had a client and so he's like hey i've got what we got holes pre-dug uh a little bit of a wrist slitter there but (laughs) you hate doing that Mm -hmm. um but we've got these holes pre-dug and thankfully the ground wasn't too awful froze yet so i went out and took care of her and as i'm getting dressed to go do it i'm like gosh I hope this doesn't end up looking like there's there's paddle marks in the snow. And you can see where she struggled right, or something like right. that. Um, looks like she tipped over like a like a two by four. Yeah, and that's like, man, how how nice is that? But that is not a common thing. It's not. I mean, that's. I've only had two dogs ever do that. Same here, two dogs, and all of the all of the dogs I've ever had, I've had two dogs do that. And I think, too, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe we look at it a little different, too, um, because our dogs are their lifestyle with big game hounds. I mean, whatever, it can be not big game hounds. I mean, accidents happen. Mm -hmm. You know, every time you unsnap that lead, you might not get that dog back alive. Mm -hmm. So there's like this weird, what happens, happens, but I really hope it doesn't. Right. Kind of mentality. And there's almost... This is going to sound really, this is going to sound really weird. Um, After all is said and done, as much heartbreak as there is, there's almost maybe, I don't want to say a sigh of relief by any means, but there's almost a feeling of, okay, that dog's life has been completed and I don't have to stress about something happening to that dog or that dog having a lack of quality of life. Almost like, I don't know. I don't want to say like a full full circle closure. That dog reached the finish line. Yeah. And yeah, that's probably a good way to put you're it. Yeah. Sad to see them go, but you're happy with the race they had. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And you're happy that it was often, sometimes you're happy with, with how they went um, and knowing that you're like, okay, nothing bad can happen to that dog. Now it's right. 
the that's the final chapter, you know, I guess. Yeah. Um for sure. Yeah. But it's I mean, I think we're bumming everybody out at this at this point, which is good. I think it gives <laughs> I, I, I hope people are thinking a little bit about this because, you know, it's it is ultimately it's not something that we talk very much about as dog people, as houndsmen, you know, and it's it's such a huge part of such a huge part of what what we do and i mean there are going to be people out there who don't have that kind of connection with their dogs never have never will who you know well as soon as they're not making it to the tree they're done they're gone they're they're buried and you know there's there are people like that and you know they're not necessarily going to be you know they're not the people who are going to be listening to this particular podcast put it that way but you know i i think that there's a lot of I saw just based on I, I'm writing an article right now about older dogs for um, Bear Hunting Magazine, and I asked on the podcast's page, "Hey, share some pictures of your older dogs," and just got an enormous number of replies. It really, really quickly. And the great thing about it was that not only did people share the pictures of their older do- older dogs, but they shared. They were clearly so proud of their older dogs that they, they shared their, I mean, I got the life stories of more hounds today and I, lo- I loved it. It was, it was awesome because those people, they got it, they get it. You know, they, they appreciated, they appreciated the race. They appreciated the process. They appreciated that life in a way that I think is, you know, if you wanted to boil it down, might not be, I want to say accepted because it does seem to be more the norm now than it used to be anyway. But, you know, with, no concerns about their manhood being called into question speaking as poetically and affectionately about an old dog. And I like that. I like, I like that so many houndsmen reached out and sent pictures and shared stories about dogs that had no purpose for them anymore. You know, those dogs were not contributing anything. But they still, there was so much affection and so much pride in what those dogs had accomplished at one point. I loved that. It was, it's one of the, one of the nicest moments that I've had as a houndsman in terms of my real interacting with other houndsmen was today and all the people who responded with pictures and stories and things like that. It was just a. I did see. Yeah, it was beautiful. I did see the post and, and you're right. And, you know, I mean, the way you put that, um, is really the mark of true confidence. I mean, nothing screams insecurity, like saying, I don't care. And uh, like <laughs> said, no one who ever actually didn't care. Ever. Right. Nothing uh, screams insecurity like bravado. 
honestly. Yeah. And that's in dogs and everything else. I mean, mm-hmm. I got a, a beagle right now that is full of a lot of false confidence. Oh, yeah. he's, he's coming out of it. <laughs> but boy, oh boy, when the fit hits the shan, he's like, uh, never mind, just kidding. Right. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of people like that too. And yeah, I think that's something. And boy, you want to talk about a wake up to ourselves getting older. Cleve and I were talking the other night. Uh, we've only got one dog left that is the last dog that wasn't started with us together. Oh, wow. You know, I came in the picture when that dog was... Um, God knew I'd be too powerful if I could do math, so I'm not going to try and do that. <laughs> That's not my strong point. Uh, he was younger. He was, he was younger. <laughs> than he is now. Yeah, so... Um, but you start looking at it and you're like, I've had how many generations of dogs? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting older. Yeah. And it's the same thing for us. I mean, how, how lucky are we to be able to say we're getting older in a way? And I mean, you can spend, you can spend your life dying or you can spend it living. Right. And there's, there's a whole lot you can, you can do and change. And, you know, a lot of these, these things we talk about really are first world problems. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. But that doesn't, Yep. I guess it's all subjective really. And. Yeah, we're a lot of what we said today isn't necessarily just about dogs. No, it's not necessarily, and you know, it is a it is a first world problem. It's a or it's a yeah. We we have the luxury of living a lifestyle that we want to live, and we have the luxury of being able to yeah sit here and talk about the few things in that lifestyle that make it a little bit hard sometimes. And yeah. And I think we tend to lose sight being saturated in it too. I think so too. But at the same time, I think it's interesting talking to houndsmen who, you know, I don't know a houndsman that hasn't slogged off into snow or brambles or, you know, crap and just gone through hell and high water to get their dogs back or uh, but you talk to them about hardship they never mention that that's not what they talk about they don't talk about the time that they you know half drowned falling through a den to the bottom of a canyon the time that a bear ran over the top of them and tore them open you know they don't talk about that they talk about that dog that they lost that one time you know which just goes to show ultimately how much these dogs mean to us is that you know it's we're, uh, you know, as houndsmen, I think we sort of inflict quite a bit of hardship on ourselves voluntarily. And uh, losing the dogs is still the thing that it seems like sort of universally, for, at least for the type of houndsmen that I like to even talk to, um, is, you know, the hardest part, the, 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 the hardship that is, uh, yeah, sits with you for a while, I think. Yeah, we might tend to be a little bit of sadomasochistic type. I think we are. <laughs> so, but, you know, there's there's a lot of joy that comes with that, too. And if you don't have the hard times, you don't recognize the good times, and everything's a season. And the season of old dogs, man, it's there's few things that bring you as much joy as seeing an old dog enjoy something so simple, mm. laying on a saddle blanket out in the sunshine, and just, you know, when they they start dreaming and they're 
kind of half open and in their sleep and their legs are going and it's like, man, which, which hunt are they dreaming about? Mm. Or what are they, what are they doing? And, you know, I don't know, maybe it's the kind of same simplistic joy that we get with puppies too. Um, I think so. There's just a little, little more of a tinge of sadness there. It's a good way to put it. Yep. It's a good way to put it. But I, I just feel lucky to, to be along on the ride. Maybe not some days. Oh, I mean, (laughs) but most days, there are definitely days where I think, you know, this doesn't, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Was I dropped on my head repeatedly as a child? Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, (laughs) what does this say about me and my level of intelligence that I am out here doing this right now? I have, I've definitely had those moments, but, um, luckily the, uh, the moments of awe and wonder have outweighed the moments of the hell am I doing right now? (laughs) Honestly. Uh, and in the meantime, this whole podcast probably just boosted Zoloft and every other antidepressants stock. Probably. Shares. If you weren't depressed when we started talking, you are now. But I guess there's something almost, I don't know, this is going to sound romanticized, but there's something almost a little poetic about it in a way, too. It's, I don't know, about like reading a good book or or something yep. and and you know I often wonder if you could go back and look at your first old dog or your first puppy mm. like if you could almost watch your progression and your pack's progression from an outside stance like all condensed into one mm-hmm. one mini movie or something sure. how proud would people be of themselves and, and I don't I don't mean that in a uh did your dog turn out in spite of you or a, would you want to be your own dog? Sure. I mean that in a, how far would people look and say, I forgot I didn't know that. Right. Or, man, I did that and that was so dumb, but I know better now. Right. And, and at what point do we pass that stuff on too? Like, right. you know, hey, learn from my mistakes. Don't do that because I was a moron and I did that and the world doesn't need more morons. Right. So maybe try this instead. Right. It's the. I mean, I've made plenty of mistakes. Slowly transitioning into our own old dog years you know honestly and boy it i did that and it hurt so maybe don't do that and it doesn't take long i mean time drags by in the blink of an eye oh man i look back now and i mean i turned 30 this year and i'm like oh my god i'm halfway to 60 (laughs) you're still you're still a pup you're still a pup plenty of experience i'm not gonna and i no, no offense, but you're, you're still about. Oh, I've got plenty to learn if I can get it through my dense head. That's for mm. sure. Eight or 10 times of making the same that's mistake right. and might figure something that's out. That's right. It'll eventually sink in. Now it's, it is. Hopefully. Time does go by so fast, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm a youngster too. You know, I'm 36. It's. It's just one of those things like uh, I'm 36, but I ran sled dogs for 26 years. So that actually makes you like 96 physically. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's the uh, I, I'm always I always chuckle to myself whenever I watch the Indiana Jones movies. When. Uh, she's like, what's the matter with you? He's like, she, she's like, are you getting old? He's like. It's not the age, honey. It's the mileage. That's always makes me chuckle because, boy, 
that that ended up being the truth. Oh man! I hobble around. I've got a nice walking stick coming to me in the mail from Root and Branch USA. Adam Dean, super excited about it. I'm not gonna lie, because <laughs> that might mean that I stumble a little bit less in the forests out there. It's like that old <laughs> knee that's been bothering me when it rains. Yeah, that's that cane's gonna be not that walking stick's gonna be awfully nice. <laughs> Yeah, it turns out that's an actual thing. Yeah. Uh, it's not just old timers yeah. that say that. Who knew? Yesterday I was, yeah, I was, I was, um, uh, I was throwing some expletives towards Garmin in the sky mm-hmm. yesterday and Cleve last week because that that beagle hooey of mine and God, the day he goes, don't talk to me for a few years. <laughs> that's gonna, I'm gonna be a mess. But he is extremely collar wise, and I've been having some troubles with my collars turning off. Hmm. Uh, it was a mile and a half the other day for Cleve to get him. And he's the type where if he doesn't make eye contact, it's all good. Mm-hmm. So he will just kind of look at you out of the corner of his eye and stay about 15 feet ahead of you. And he generally knows if you're walking out to him and he hasn't been toned in in a while, he knows. Mm-hmm. That little son of a gun. And if he is to the point where, and I mean, I went under the barbed wire fence. I was running and I do not run. I, I If I'm running, something's chasing me. You better be running. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And he was, the only way I caught him where I did was because I had made a mile loop around and he was in some tall sagebrush and he couldn't see me coming. And I'm telling you, and usually you know how it is, all the dogs go with you. So then other dogs come in and he moves off. I Olympic sprinted through that sagebrush and tackled him because he didn't have the chance to see me coming. I felt like a lion tackling a deer or something. And let me tell you what, I was huffing and freaking puffing the whole way back. And for like 15 minutes after, I'm like... I'm getting too old. Pure rage. Pure rage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've been there. I've been there. I've definitely run after puppies that have been blowing me off where the only reason I caught them is it was downhill. Yeah. And then you're like, am I actually 30? Because I feel like I'm 50 right, right now. Right. Yeah. But I think at this point we're pissing off the uh, the few 60 and 70 years old year olds who actually have something to complain about here listening to two honestly 30 somethings complain about getting old <laughs> but uh all right becky well this was a ton of fun a little bit sad but fun and uh yeah i'm sorry to hear about the loss of your uh your your gal that's a bummer that's a bummer not unexpected thanks still a bummer yeah, same to same to you and oof, two in a day. That's tough. Yeah, that was a bummer. <laughs> that was a that was a little bit like went down and got the one. She had like a mammary tumor that we'd been keeping an eye on. We'd had a couple of them removed and they just kind of kept growing back. We'd been keeping an eye on it and it got really, really big in about a week and then um, like ruptured. Um, so it was like, oh, OK, well, I need to that. That's it. You know, that's the end of the road. And like while I was down there grabbing her, uh, the my other old dog who was fifteen, like was trying to come out of the house. It was rainy, it was cold, it was gross, and just like trying to come out of the house to see what was going on. And I'm like, like I waited for him, and it took <laughs> it took him such a an absurd amount of time to get out of the house. It was like, okay, I think you're gonna come along here, pal. Oof. Yeah, no, that was a bummer. You know, it's 
That's tough. We always do something where we bury them with something to kind of take with mm-hmm. them. And so like the dog we had that got killed on the mountain the other day, I don't know, early last year, I don't know how many pairs of sunglasses of aviators that dog crunched. I mean, that was his thing. Cleveland set him down and he'd take off and they'd just be mangled, look like a pickup run over. <laughs> so he got buried with a pair of sunglasses. And Good. this old dog that we just lost the other day, I could turn her loose and left her loose all the time. Except she eats everything and is horrible about trash. If our trash had put up, she'd trot the mile to the neighbors and be like, mm, I bet Gary and Sarah have something I can right. get into. So we buried her with a snack and like a little cheese stick wrapper of trash. That's <laughs> little things like that. The little... Little ceremonies. I don't know. Little habits you have. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Totally. I get it. Bring a little joy to the, to the pain. Absolutely. But. Have a little chuckle. The, the old Irish wake. Chuckle in a whiskey. Yeah. Pretty mm-hmm. much. Good. Well, Becky, it's always a pleasure. I appreciate you coming on again. Same, for sure. I always enjoy your perspective. Yeah. Good talking to you. But we'll uh, let's do it again. Absolutely. Man, I love that sound. <laughs>